0: Oh my gosh, thank goodness you're here, because really, who would listen to the podcast? I mean, I already have, because I edited the thing. Hey, it's me, Greg Dalmich, and I got some news for you. So, first of all, uh, you know what's great? Uh, free stuff. Free stuff is pretty great. And We Over at RPG Fan have some free stuff to give you. Uh, remember that time we reviewed Night of the Round's new Final Fantasy 7 tribute album called Seven? Well, that metal band is going to be giving away a copy to one lucky person who uh, comes over to our site. you got seven ways to enter. At the moment, there's only 101 entries as of this recording with 14 days left. And uh, that sounds like some pretty good odds at the moment. So get on over to RPGFan.com and get yourself entered. So we've got this big awesome feature that Zach was helming for us and getting the team to put together, and we finally pulled it out, calling it This Isn't Even My Final Form! It's an anime adaptations of our favorite RPGs feature, looking at various RPGs properties that have been made into video or vice versa. So go give a read of this... Very awesome feature And there's a lot of films out there That I didn't know existed Like East has a movie? I didn't know that Did you? We can talk about it, anyways, go check out the feature Crowdfunding Chronicles Has continued its chronicling With this, oh my gosh Adorable looking game called Kaiju, Kaiju Dating Sim It's it's funded It could probably use more money Because it's got some lovely uh, Extended goals There's two more days to get it on if you want to get it, but oh my gosh, it just looks the cutest, and yeah, let's get this made. Pete, leave it. Remember that guy? He's been here a few times. Remember that time we talked about giant robots? Well, yeah, we do that a lot, too. In that theme, Pete's been playing Battletech for us, uh, as he's been talking about on the podcast, and he has written up a lovely review to fill in that gap on our site, giving it RPG fan editor's choice, because I mean I'm not shocked that he loved it but it seems Hairbrain Schemes has been doing a fabulous job as he has continued to talk of so go give his review a read if you want to see the nitty gritty about uh, this game less enjoyable was my playthrough of Wizardry Labyrinth of Lost Souls I talked about it on the last episode of the podcast my review has come out and we also did a video review covering uh, my review as well so if you want to see what this dated game is looking like and why I wasn't a big fan You can watch the video, and you can read the review. Half Past Fate has just dropped, and Alana Hogs was reviewing that forest. Uh, It seems okay. It looks lovely, but it doesn't seem to quite live up to it in the gameplay front. So if you want to go check out this lovely graphic adventure that's uh, on Switch and Windows, and see if you want to add to your Switch library, that I'm sure is huge at this point, then go check out her review and see if this one's worth your while. It's funny that, like... I brought up this whole, you know, there's a few RPG-adjacent reviews that have been coming up for film and such and TV, and all of a sudden now there's just a bunch of them. So it's worth uh, noting that we reviewed the Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution that the Pokemon company has brought us, revisiting the, of course, original Mewtwo Strikes Back that was a 2D animation, so now we got this lovely 3D update to it. Uh, my daughter Gwen has watched it, she was a fan, as, you know, it's expected. So go check out Peter's review of the film. See if you can go check it on Netflix if it's worth a while, you know. Or if it's playing in a theater near you. I know that happened back when it came out. It might still be doing the circulation. I'm not sure. You may have been noticing some new video content on YouTube and uh, you would be noticing correctly. We've been checking out basically like the opening moments of various RPGs and slowly building that collection. We'll continue adding to it. But you can check out our playthrough of the first 50 minutes of Final Fantasy VII demo which is basically the whole demo but it is those opening moments from final fantasy 7 so if you want to get a preview of the game if you haven't picked it up for yourself or you're thinking maybe a ps4 just for this go check out that playthrough and see if it's for you and finally we take our usual visit over to the music department with a review of octopath traveler arrangements break boost extend because break boost was a rad album and I'm glad that they just went back and did more with that. It made it to our uh, our feature list of best music of last year. So if you didn't check it out there, go read Patrick Gann's extended review of it, and give this one a listen. It's a really solid album. All that being said, uh, if you hadn't heard yet, this article uh, with the I guess the preamble that we usually do to our reviews. Did a lovely send-off to Marcos Gaspar Who you may remember from past podcast episodes as well He's, uh, you know, he's dead. he's a busy guy He's got other things to do And he is uh, leaving the site sadly So we are sad to see him go But thank him for... Marcos, you've been a rad guy You've been great on the podcast You're very knowledgeable in music And you're just such a charming, helpful, lovely guy So feel free to uh, say nice things to Marcos, folks And with that, I'm going to send you on over to Episode 184 of Random Encounter. Hello everybody in uh, RPG fan listening land. We're back with another episode of Random Encounter. I'm Greg Delmage, the host of episode 184 today. And uh, announcing uh, exciting things, uh, I have a co-host now. We've, I guess, promoted him because he's here enough. We we like him a lot. He's a pretty knowledgeable person and keeps up with things because he's uh, a very uh, consistent member on our reviews writing team uh introducing my consistent now co-host john o'logan hey everybody welcome in thank you for accepting the role laid before you like i said i appreciate your knowledge and having you here at my side more often than not although digitally i guess
1: thank you for talking to me about it was uh super exciting when you asked
0: yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be good to have some more consistency i guess because it always has helped in past podcasts and past episodes when two people make the team come together kind of thing and speaking of consistent hosts in the podcast realm here at RPG Fan, I also have Mike Salosi back. Hi, great to be back. Yeah, we haven't heard from you in not in a year, but that's a used-up joke. You a know, cal- it. a
2: calendar year, sure. It has been a calendar year. It has been a calendar
0: year. But uh, thank you both for being on the podcast with me today. Uh, if folks want to find me, you can find me uh, at Greg Dalmage. Pretty much anywhere you need to find me, I'm G Dalmage. G D Delm I can't even say my own name. You okay. look it up on the Discord. And John O'Logan, where can folks find you in social media?
2: You guys can find me on Twitter at John O'Logan. And Mike Silosi, what's your litany of handles? Uh, at the real monsoon on Twitter most of the time, and at Evoker for Dogs at other times. And both of which are just delightful.
0: <laughs> I love, always enjoy hearing those handles. At any rate Here we are. We've played some games uh, again, because, you know, it's what we like doing, apparently. And since uh, that calendar year, when we talked about uh, some of the best games of last year, one of them being Final Fantasy XIV, there has been a new patch for Final Fantasy XIV fans called uh, Echoes of a Fallen Star. That was like mid-February, I think we were saying, February 17th, possibly. Yes, around then. Yeah, and Mike, you've uh, been one of our more consistent players up there with Caitlyn and a couple other team members.
2: But uh, yeah, how's that experience been? I'm not at the level of Caitlyn or Mike <laughs> Salvato, but I uh, I have been a consistent FF14 player since 2016-ish, and uh, Final Fantasy 14: Shadowbringers was RPG fans' game of the year for 2019, a, a pleasant surprise for me. And uh, yeah, I, I got. Uh, I'm an on and again off again player of that game, but I got back on the wagon in January in anticipation of that patch, and I've been playing it almost every day, definitely every week uh, throughout February and March. And um, nice. What about it, the patch? Wanted you to come back to it. Well, uh, like th- the big numbered patches, the point um, one, point two, point three, point four stuff is always where they drop new exciting content and uh the, and um the the content delivery system for Final Fantasy 14 is really really consistent. So before we knew a word of the content in 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 Echoes of a Fallen Star, people knew it was going to be one special trial, a bunch of story quests, one new dungeon and one new set of and a and a set of four mini raids because like it's very consistent what they deliver each patch but just the the content of which is always you know consistently good and interesting but uh, uh this time it, it's a ruby weapon trial fighting the uh, um an ff14 bo- uh, version of the super boss from ff7 nice, which is um, timely <laughs> yeah a uh, a new set of eden raids and uh, without getting too detailed into it um eden is the raid is the uh, eight player raid tier for uh, Shadowbringers, and this one has a uh, twisted versions of a couple Final Fantasy, uh, classic summons. Uh, one of the fights in the new raids is a, uh, is you're fighting, um, Ramu, the, uh, the Thunder Summon, but he's sort of in the body of a Centaur, so he's like Ramu and Ixion combined. Oh, dope! Yeah, he, and <laughs> that he, sounds he, horrifyingly yeah, he, awesome. Yeah, he looks he looks awesome, and uh, that's the only one of that set of raids I've done so far. It was it was quite challenging for me being an average player. And uh, let's see, Ruby weapon, Ramu, uh, a bunch of new story, a bunch of new story dungeons, and a uh, I'm sorry, a bunch of new story quests. And the new dungeon is a really nice, cool underwater ruins dungeon that takes. Uh, <laughs> that that takes the musical theme from Sastasha, the very first dungeon of the whole game, back in 2013, level 15 content, and remixes it into a big, uh, into a jazzy big band theme.
0: That sounds slick. I need to go listen to that after this.
2: Yeah, and Sestasha is piratey, and you fight, uh, and, and you fight Sahagin, basically, basically people, And this one is called uh, An Amnesis Aneider, and it is different from that uh from Sestasha, but it remixes the song and you do fight some uh some mer people and another one of the bosses you might like this greg is a final fantasy tactics cyclops oh those that guy was
0: yeah so under appreciated like yeah exactly i i I haven't i haven't
2: seen i haven't seen that guy since ff tactics came out on the psp and here he is in ff 14 and that's awesome yeah another one pretty soon the same too big old purple horn yeah the big old purple horn with a with an orange tunic deal he's a he's a boss in the new dungeon so like again (laughs) final fantasy 14 always really consistently fun content a lot of weird references to final fantasy games past and (laughs) uh and i've had a lot of fun with the new patch but i i've done most of the story stuff in it but i still have some raids to finish and i am logging in at least five days a week just so i can get my daily quests done and, and slowly build my way to some fancy new gear
0: Nice question for you. Oh? Uh, when you talk about those twisted classic summons, uh was uh
2: Retro Encounter's favorite summon boyfriend
0: Ifrit in there or?
2: He uh yes. Um this is the second leg of the Eden raids and uh, the first leg had the summon Eden from FF8 and then twisty right. ver- and then twisty versions of Titan and Leviathan. Um and this one has a uh twisty versions of Ramu, Ifrit, and Garuda, plus oh, uh, plus nice. some other plus some other stuff that's a little bit uh, a little bit spoilery. So I'm, I'll avoid talking about those. When well, you okay, say twisty fair. versions, do you mean like amalgams? Um, like are they all mashups or are they not exactly in different ways? Twisted in different ways. It's uh like you're basically trying to restore mana or or ether or whatever you want to call it to a giant wasteland that was completely annihilated in an apocalypse. And you found out a way to do that. You can restore the elements to it one by one by basically uh, summoning them. It's like summoning embodiments of them. So you're basically summoning uh, elemental spirits or, or primals, they're called in ff 14 from the previous world into this world to try and restore mana. But they come out crazy just because this is a twisted new world and uh like like the version of titan that you fight that you fight has sort of wheels on its back and turns into almost like a go-kart version of titan driving all around and knocking people over uh a Leviath- Leviath- final fantasy yeah. 13 <laughs> yeah leviathan has two heads and um and again i oh, mentioned cool. I, yeah i mentioned centaur remu uh, and, and the, the Efreed and Garuda fight is you, uh, Garuda is the wind summon from FF14. I'm not sure if she appeared in, uh, Final Fantasy games before 14, but you, you yeah, fight, I can't remember uh, either.
0: it sounds familiar, but maybe I'm just thinking of it as a, as a, a Just it,
2: yeah, just as something from mythology or, or maybe from, uh, or maybe as a previous I know you fought fight. them,
0: but I don't think you actually got to summon them Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, um. Yeah, for a while I thought I was confusing them with Siren, which is a a, a boss fight from an old FF14 dungeon. But but yeah, you you fight Ifrit and Garuda together, and you mentioned Amelgam's Jono, and I hesitated. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, you you fight you, you fight uh, Garuda and Ifrit like a tag team, and then they they Voltron together into a combined ifrit Garuda Amelgam. <laughs> Very cool. I've, I I've I've watched a video of that fight because I whenever I do a raid uh because if if you make a mistake in the raid you the whole party can wipe you, i i always watch a video ahead of time so i i make as few mistakes as possible and we can actually win um so i i've watched a video of y'fret garuda but i haven't done it yet i I've, I've only done remu in the new, in the new set it sounds cool Very yeah cool. It, it is cool like i um final fantasy XIV raids are intimidating because they're uh the, the savage version of them is are, is the second hardest kind of fight in the entire game but uh, it's, So it's, it was intimidating. I didn't even get into raiding until less than a year ago. And again, I started playing this game in 2016. But it's, it's really, really fun. And there are really f- uh, crazy, creative boss fights. And uh, basically all of my favorite content in the game is either Trials or Raids because they're just really cool boss fights that uh, Final Fantasy 14 does super well. And um, I haven't done all the stuff in 5.2 yet. Uh, I haven't even done all this stuff in five point one yet because I, I haven't really I haven't done very many extreme trials or savage raids but uh it's really really great and it's giving fans what they want and I'm really really looking forward to another two or two and a half months or so when uh, we try to figure out what the next set of near raids are and then and whatever dungeon we get in five point
0: three very cool and so with raids your raids are like your standard like you need a group to party up with and do them. And then Savage Raids are just beefed up versions of the, the the standard raids, like they're just more challenging. Is that how
2: it works again? I forget. You are basically right for Savage. Um but for uh most raids in ff fourteen are eight players, and you can enter a roulette to do them. Basically just uh Right. Uh,
0: you don't need to make your own, you but you can jump in where they're
2: yeah, you, kind of you can jump in when they're needed, or you can look up to see what par- uh do, look up the party finder to see what raids people are are trying to uh, mass groups for and jump in there, or you can do uh, roll with a preset team of your friends, or if you have like six friends and you need two more people, you can team up as six and then try to get the last right. two via roulette, and, uh, and you get a and you get a bonus if you do a raid roulette every day, so it basically throws you into a random raid that you're qualified for. Um, but you get experience and uh and item bonuses for finishing it because you're helping someone else by ent- by entering
1: the pool. That's, oh, that's fantastic. This. It means that you just if you want to play the game, if you want to do a raid, you can. You don't have yep. to like get friends. It's it sounds like a great system.
2: Yeah, it's it works for dungeons, raids, and trials very well except for a couple of the raids in fi- in uh, in in 2.0 uh don't have roulettes because they were they were they had a different design philosophy then and uh and they sort of evolved into into modern Final Fantasy 14 rating, so I don't think you can use roulette for the level 50 Bahamut raids. But for every other um, multiplayer content in the game, you uh, you can use preset parties or Party Finder or roulettes, and uh, and they give you rewards for helping people with old content, which which keeps you know it, it's hard to find a really inactive piece of content in Final Fantasy 14. As a result,
0: oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. the reason i was asking because you mentioned mini raids so what are mini raids by comparison to like your standard raids
2: i'm not sure what i meant by mini raids um
0: okay i think i think you said there's four mini raids oh okay yes yes
2: basically um the raid tier every uh every patch is is 12 individual fights i think it's 13 for the bahamut ones and then 12 for all the others but they're released in blocks so uh um they they released four at the time of Shadowbringers last summer, and then just now, uh, f- uh, just last month in uh, five point two, they added the next four. So as, as that collection of twelve, eventually twelve, are the, is the Eden raid. But then there's there blocks of four, which the first four is called Eden's Gate, and the second four is called Eden's Verse. And within Eden's Gate and Eden's Verse, there's there's four fights, and that's what is referring to mini raids.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I was just curious why all that differed. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and in Eden's verse, it's the Remove fight, then the Garuda Ifrit fight, and then two more that I I don't want to spoil. And I have, but I have not done all of them yet.
0: Okay, gotcha. And uh, yeah, and I was reading uh, the Qatari Beast Tribe was that thing already in there since No, the it was it was not. Five, um, or I... Did they add more stuff in now with this as well? Because they look cute as heck.
2: Uh yeah, that is new to five point two. Um, they add Beast Tribes. In various patches, I think five. um, I think there's three per expansion usually, and so this is the second one. So we'll get another beast tribe in probably five point four, but the 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 Kitari or Chitari are like kobolds, I think, or or like Kikarin, either one of those two from uh, from Realm Reborn. But they're uh, they're sort of a scavenger tribe, and uh, so um, the the Kitari quests are all for your for gathering classes. So if you want to. if you want to level up your gatherers or get high level, um, um, high level materials for crafting, uh, the Kitari tribe quests should be a very good resource for that. And, uh, (laughs) this is a little bit, uh, inside baseball in the weeds and I apologize in advance, but, um, (laughs) the, the, the song that plays in, in the Rak'tika Greatwood, which is where the Kitari are is one of the more notorious songs from Shadowbringers. It's a, uh, it's a very pleasant song, but it has a a singer singing in a high pitched manner. La he, la he. A lot of oh, that's a, the one that times, uh, Caitlin was talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm not surprised Caitlin talked about it because it's, it's it's one of the signature songs in the game. But in the Qatari Beast Tribe quest, they explain what the lyrics of that song mean. Oh, and and there's that's even. Fun. Yeah, there's even a, a quest called Lahi, but and I think the gist of it is Lahi means wake up, and the song is saying wake up everyone. It's uh, it's 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 time to it's it's time to you know be alive in the forest or something. I don't know, but yeah, much it, friendlier version of Chop Suey. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> and a and a much very a much friendlier version of Raging Against the Machine as well. Um,
0: oh yep, you got that one too. There we go. Yep. Yeah. I so, just hope uh, you can get her in their hats. <laughs> I like their hats. <laughs>
2: um, I know that you can get a minion that's wearing one of their hats. that uh, you can get a a, a, a hat a, a hat version of the Great Serpent of Ronka. I'm not sure if there's a, if there's gear that includes the hats, because I, I I don't have any gatherers high enough level to do Kitari quests. I'm I'm very I'm not very uh, invested in gathering or crafting. I'm strictly battling. And, and yeah, sleeping. it sounds like and uh, sleeping. It's a, I like a like sleeping whole other in
0: investment for sure.
2: It's a there is an unlimited amount of things to do in Final Fantasy 14 it's totally overwhelming uh, overwhelming if you go in there without without any idea but uh, I-, I focused on the things I like to do the most I even I sort of even picked uh, a, like five or six jobs that I'm gonna like I'm only gonna level up these because if I try to level uh, level up everything I'm gonna go totally insane uh, and it, basically just setting small goals for myself and making sure I'm limited to certain things makes me not completely lose myself to addiction but uh, yeah, final fantasy important. four yeah final fantasy 14 is awesome the 5.2 stuff is a lot of fun uh the omega raid is probably my favorite because it's uh, it's just a really fun creative dramatic boss fight and um the I- i'm probably not going to play all 12 months out of 2020 but they at least have my money for uh, a while longer because I, <laughs> I gotta i gotta finish i gotta finish those edens verse raids and
0: what is your favorite minion you have
2: oh boy i have okay, I have a lot of minions. um would you earn to, through quests or can you buy them? You can or buy them, you get them through you get, you get them through quests, you get some in the story there's a, a, some of them are random drops from dungeons trials and raids. There's okay. a zillion ways to get things I'll, I'll 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 double your answer. I'll tell you my favorite mount and my favorite minion. I will um, take it. My favorite mount is the true griffin. Which you get from doing some uh, Ananta Beast Tribe quests. They're they're snake ladies living in a living in a, a sort of a rocky a rocky mountain area of the of the world, and I just think the Griffin looks awesome. It immediately replaced my Chocobo once I got it, uh, and my favorite minion I think is Pororogo. Oh, that is
0: very sl- slick looking. Sorry, yeah. it's a really. Yeah,
2: it's, it's a nice looking Griffin, and once yeah. I unlock it, I'm like, "Oh man, this is this is really good. I, I like this a lot." Um, but and my favorite minion is Pororogo, which you get from a uh, a dungeon in Heavensward, I think, and it's a uh, it's a little frog with a ma- with a mage hat and a staff, and I think it's very cute.
0: Uh, that seems pretty on brand for you. Mm, yep. I, I, <laughs> is it a but, frog evoker?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. Let's see. I, I, the the dungeon that you get that you get it from is a little creepy because it's a tower where everything's upside down, and the final boss at the end of it is the Calcabrena dolls from FF Four.
1: This game's it's fan tough. service is incredible. No, it's
2: it's yeah. in, it's completely insane, and I, uh, I and I mean, Greg, you're a big uh, Tactics Ogre fan, right?
0: There's, I'm a
2: fan of it. I haven't gotten into it yet. It's a there's a 200 floor super dungeon based on the world of Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre in oh, in FF14. I'm So like, <laughs> take my money. It, and and there's uh and you know I'm a I'm a big fan of Super Sentai and Power Rangers. Uh, there is a raid boss where four Goblin mechs Voltron together into a super robot. It's
1: just fan service. The video game. It, it, I it love is
2: fan, it. it is final. It is it is Japanese
1: RPG fan service. The video game and. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like it's just for the purpose of fan service. No, it really doesn't. It's in service of the game and, like, the gameplay. That's hard to pull off, and it's incredibly impressive that they consistently have done it for ten years. Well, I guess seven years.
2: Yeah, and the story of FF14 rising from the ashes to become the big success it is now is one of the most crazy crazy video game development stories I've ever heard. Um, uh, uh, Square Enix is is releasing some mini-documentaries. On on it uh, that uh, a recent one came out in the first week of March, and there's a really good right, uh, yeah. there's a really good series of mini docs done by NoClip that, about FF14 that were released I think a year or two years ago that are also very good if you're interested in the story of this game, but yeah I, I don't want to ramble too much on it because I know we talk about FF14 a lot on this podcast but it's uh, it has been my biggest distraction from doing things like single player RPGs or other podcasts or of my other interests, uh, the past couple of years, just be- because it's um, I I have not gotten this deep into a video game since my oh I don't know since my Monster Hunter peak in the early 2010s.
1: Oh, man, I'm terrified when I eventually fold and install this thing.
2: I'll
0: take the plunge with you. <laughs> I, sh-
2: I should mention that uh, the free trial lets you do any content up to level 35. So if you want to <laughs> download the- that huge. Uh, file, you can play, you know, a, a good several hours of that game, uh, uninterrupted, and, and the and the max content right now is level eighty. So that, that that's the first, I don't know, first fifteen twenty percent of the game. Because really, after level fifty, like level fifty to sixty is about the same length as level one to fifty, and and so on. the 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 expansions are very meaty games in their own right.
1: Okay, cool, yeah, Greg. It's a terrible idea of us doing this at the same time. There wouldn't be an episode <laughs> of Random for like months. We have to take my turns. <laughs> we, ha- we
2: have uh, convinced Hillary, Zach, and Joe to try FF14 for the first time, all in the past six or seven months.
0: That's right. Joe did just dive into. I saw that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, Zach is in Heavensward content already. I'm proud of him.
0: How do you... he's running features, playing review? Where did these people find the time? I was even just saying this in the last episode, as you probably recall, um, in like my preamble. Like, mm-hmm. how does like half of our review team get through games so fast? So many of them in like a week's time, and I'm still like beating my head against the wall in wizardry it's like eh. if i knew i would tell you right it's it's a it's a power that's for sure well i mean Um, it's
1: i think it's also family structure like you have a kid i have a you have a kid i have a snake um
0: (laughs) the time is far less demanding that's true exactly the snake uh if in case anyone's wondering is uh the more demanding
2: that that joke backfired me i'm just going to move on yeah,
1: presumably you can't feed children mice. The snake is probably
2: better at hide-and-seek than your kid. But other than that, I can't think of very many more challenging bits. I had a friend
0: that had a snake that was a constant escape artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Vancouver, there's a common household setup where they will split up a level of the of the place into two houses. Uh, basically, like little condo apartments with like a one-bedroom. And they're ridiculously too small for the price they're paying. But anyways, it's a thing. But there's usually a door separating the two because at some point they were all one unified floor and the snake would frequently escape and then crawl under that door into the neighbor's apartment which usually um obviously not so fun for my friend but it is still funny to think of these people coming home being like there's a coral snake
2: in our <laughs> kitchen coral snake that's or
0: but the one that looks like the coral snake
2: though but it's not deadly king, that's because, a king snake <laughs> thank you yeah, yeah okay. the coral snake Cor- is the deadly one, right? Yeah, I would be a little concerned if I found one of those in my kitchen. Yeah, yeah, coral snakes are deadly. King snakes are coral snake mimics. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. That's the yep. that's the one I'm thinking of because I knew it looked like one or the other, and I couldn't
1: remember the name. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's, it's all right. My snake has only ever escaped once, Uh, and it was my – it was in the first – it was my partner's – it still is my partner's snake, and I sort of inherited it because I I live with snake now. Um, And it was within the first few months that we were dating, and she calls me in a a massive panic because snake escaped. And I just remember sitting on her bedroom floor with, like, multiple boxes of tissue – of, like, tissue paper and and cardboard tubes creating snake traps. Out of that and duct tape, trying to figure out a way to catch the snake. And then she found it five minutes later in her laundry hamper.
0: Amazing. I just hope that you like took a moment to quote uh, some Metal Gear and just shout snake into the ether.
2: <laughs> snake, snake, snake. I was trying to remember the rhyme that they taught me as a kid to tell the difference between a coral and a king snake. I think it's red on yellow, poison fellow, red on, oh, yeah. black, red on black, venom lack. So, coy... Coral snakes are the ones with with yellow bands in between the red and the black, and king snakes don't have yellow bands. Okay. I think. Yeah, there there yeah there was some sort of yeah. like, like limerick or something. Yeah, I, 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 I think, think it's I think it's red on yellow, uh, danger dangerous fellow, red on black venom venom black. I think. Hmm. I I'd have to Google that, but it's uh, but yeah, um, don't joke <laughs> around with uh with venomous snakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't confuse them. It's the uh, that's the important motto right there. Yeah. Mine's just a cute
1: mm-hmm. little corn snake.
0: Hmm. Named, also adorable. Named Hephaestus. <laughs> I like it uh, what I uh, also have been liking because we'll use that as a segue why not I was going to use banging a head against the wall but we went off on snakes because why not uh, I've been doing both of those things with stone shard we had that go under early access back on February 6th and I was wanting to get to it far sooner until uh, you know I got lost in wizardry but that's finally out of the way and stone shard is uh, a cool little roguelike it plays like you're kind of top-down, like grid-by-grid. Grid. Every move you make, they make a move kind of a system, turn-based system. And economy-wise, skill-building-wise, everything else plays like Diablo and Torchlight for playing inventory uh, Tetris and upping your stats and stuff. But it's got like so much minutiae in all the stats and stuff too. Like your each of your body parts kind of takes injuries. And you can like break your leg or have your torso break and then you'll have to splint it to like kind of manage the injury and then and all that stuff as they get damaged kind of reduces your overall health recovery time per turn kind of thing. And like so there's a lot of like little minutiae in that with damage to specific types of damage. uh, Sorry not damage resistance to specific types of damage and and different kinds of spell trees and everything like that that all again feeds into uh, a lot of the RNG of the game but it is brutally, brutally hard. It's, it has like a um, tutorial prologue, essentially. You start out as this character named Venek, uh, who's got this gravelly old man voice, uh, as uh, which suits him quite uh, well. And he's a relic hunter who apparently was kind of doing the, not necessarily like a one last job, but has been doing more or less some retirement jobs, as you come to find out, looking for the titular stone shard, and ends up, Somehow in a cell next to a dead companion and basically like, how did I get here? And there's this creepy vampire fellow basically saying like, oh, we'll be using you soon enough kind of thing. And you figure out how to escape through tutorial means. And very uh, early on in the tutorial basically says straight up like, hey, you're not the chosen one. You're probably going to die a bunch and you can't save. You can only save at inns or, like, these rest campfire spots, which I haven't found yet. But the early dungeon, basically, there's, like, two checkpoints. And if you don't hit them, it, like, I, the amount of times I restarted, I lost, like, two hours of my life trying to get through just this prologue dungeon. And it was absolutely brutal because I'd have, like, a good run of, like, one or two floors of the dungeon and uh, feel like I was getting some really good random gear that I was finding. I went up a level, so I had assigned out some of my stats and... Had chosen different uh, skills for each level I went up, and then when you die, it just reset me back to the beginning of like the randomly generated dungeon that I was in. And is it I like D- it is it over. like
2: uh, is it like Diablo or Dark Souls, where you if you find your corpse in the dungeon, you can get some of that back? Sadly, no. Because um, you mentioning campfires as a save point made, made me think of bonfires and Dark Souls. And also the punishing difficulty made me think of the same thing. <laughs> right? And I was, yeah,
0: you would hope. But no, every single time it would set me back to this part in the prologue where you come into basically like a, a ruined office that belonged to like the, the head clergy, a member of this monastery it seems you're in. And it would just reset me back in there just as I entered it. So I had to like reassign my skill points, clear out the useless crap that was in my inventory, pick up all the stuff that I had found in that room once again, and then go back down. So it was, it was the tedium of redoing things and then having to go back into another new procedurally generated dungeon. And, like, it definitely warns you. Like, you're, you're going to want to kite stuff. Like, it straight up tells you, don't try and take on too many enemies at once. But at the same time, that can get tedious when it's just a very repetitive kind of gameplay format so i'm really hoping they do a bit
1: more balancing and they don't just straight up leave it as get good uh as their answer to it yeah this 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 dungeon sounds a bit more like a pure rogue game rather than a roguelite
0: yeah i guess it would be a pure rogue um as opposed yeah because roguelikes i guess more borrow it and put it into a different kind of gameplay mechanic where yeah this is straight up like your top down step-by-step kind of game
2: yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it feels like a, um, I mean, a loot, RP, a loot action RPG similar to Diablo, but uh, but they're really leaning into the punishing difficulty uh, edge of it that you know, like old school Diablo sort of had, and um, and modern games have less of. So I mean, maybe they're they're trying to capture some of that audience that 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 Dark Stool, that Dark Souls old PC game audi- mm-hmm. audience that uh, that that wants a more hardcore experience
0: which I've seen plenty of those experiences released on mobile because uh, it definitely lends itself very well to like the touchscreen mechanic and keeping the more simple pixelated graphics. And like the pixel art in this game is stunning. If this game doesn't appeal to you visually, it'll definitely capture you with its audio production as well. Like All the sound effects are fantastic so far. The voice work is, is great. There's like, great pacing, great tone. It sounds like the actors are actually listening to each other. The performances are solid. And I can't recommend that work enough in this game and uh and then yeah the the whole visual appeal of it is definitely something that caught my eye out the gate if you look that up but uh yeah it can just be really really punishing and it took me uh again probably five or six tries to get to like the final checkpoint rate before like the prologue boss and even then i had to run through that a few times too of figuring out the different patterns and how to kind of get through its different mechanics kind of stuff but it does similar sort of things that we've seen in other games where it telegraphs a move kind of ahead of time so to speak. Uh most enemies will have spells or stuff like that that'll show the area of effect so you hopefully have a turn or two to get out of the way sometimes depending on the nature of the spell cuz all the enemies are basically uh I guess other characters for lack of a better term. Uh just they've built them with their own full run of skills and stats and such and you can look at any enemy uh, right-click on them and inspect them so you can kind of see what sort of powers they have, how long it'll take them to recharge if they have expent one. So you can definitely strategize a bit and figure out how to weigh your options and if it's a good time to close or not. Because uh until you act again in any way shape or form or choose to pass your turn, so to speak, like no, nothing happens. So it's not real time, of course. And that's nice. That gives you time to consider, but there's the amount of times where I was sitting there with like five hit points left and like there's no restorative items that really seem to be like right now the only means I've seen of restoring my health is just through resting which you can only do if there's no enemies around and or the very slow like every so often turns you'll recover health but when you're too busy trying to outrun area of effect attacks or long range attacks it's only a matter of time basically so that got really frustrating when I was trying like I'm like is there any way I can give myself a quick health boost anything and there's random skills that'll come into play every once in a while like, like these random perks that your character will activate like there's a second wind every once in a while but it seems completely random so I don't know how that came in it would give me like a, a strength boost and it would boost up my my hit points which was always welcome but it wasn't always guaranteed so it's like I just, I, I felt very out of control sometimes and you get affected by so many of like the little mini um issues of life by like having hunger affect you thirst affects you and all that stuff affects like your health recovery and then like i said there's all the little injuries and stuff like that you can get uh, make yourself drunk which is uh does the usual like makes the screen all hazy but it also confuses your character every once in a while so they might go the opposite direction from what you want them to do and stuff like that are there any benefits to getting drunk well it cures thirst (laughs) and it can um and like, yeah, different different uh, drinks will do different things. Yeah, like bolster your strength and stuff like that. I feel like but, a ginger high. Yeah, they should cost. make
2: one drunken style martial arts build that that gives you extra bonuses from just being drunk, and 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 make and that'd make alcohol amazing. a a resource and not just a condition.
0: <laughs> and I would love that. I think that'd be super cool. And I'm curious, yeah, if that will be something down the road. Because once you do get through the prologue. It takes you to this inn that's essentially in, like, for the moment, it seems to be, like, the hub town. And the character that you were just playing as, Vanek, is just sitting there chatting with somebody else. And is like, and that's how I came to be here, basically. And then is like, well, anyways, what have you been up to? And then, then you get to choose another character to be. And it seems like down the line, eventually, I think you'll get a party. I haven't gotten that far in. I'm not sure. But it seems to be building towards that. Like, him saying, hey, do some tasks around town for us. And then you and I can travel along. He's like, I just hurt my leg and I can't. Uh, travel very far without, like, a horse and cart kind of thing, so go talk to the mayor and do some quests, and there we go. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment in the hub town, which is a nice breath of fresh air, because now I can actually save by spending a night at the inn. And, uh, you know, I have access to better gear and stuff like that, and I can sell stuff. But it also was kind of annoying, because I was playing with Venick, and playing the usual game of, uh, again, hoarding, and playing... Inventory Tetris where you're like, oh, that thing's worth like 200 gold. That thing's worth 600 gold. I might want to sell that later, even if I can't use it right now. And you're trying to figure out, you know, should I keep more food or should I keep this $600 vest? Uh, And weighing those options. then when you get to town, it turns out none of that mattered because you weren't able to sell it. So that's part of me, why part of me is hoping I'll eventually rejoin Venick again and maybe all that stuff will be there and then I'll pay off. Or if it was just a big waste of my time and stressing me out, trying
1: to figure out what I should and should not have kept and instead wait in favor of better stuff to keep me alive. I like the meta implications of that though. The idea that your character is like, and that's how I got here because you restarted the game like four times because you kept dying, which means that this guy was sitting there continuously screwing up the telling of the story and kept saying, "Wait, wait, let me go back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, but that's that, really sound,
2: funny. that sounds a little bit like Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time, which is uh, uh, the framework of it is that the prince is telling the princess the story of uh, what's happened to him over the past few days. And whenever you die, he, he goes, "Wait a second, no, that's not what happened. Let me start over." And it, <laughs> and and, and, and if, through very frustrating parts of the game, you might hear, "No, that's not how it happened." A lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yeah, basically how this
0: felt. You know, I guess at the end of it, when you get there, it's a very good point. And then you get these four archetypes right now. And it seems to be outside of the beta, you'll get the beta, The beta, you'll be able to make your own character, but they have four uh, built-in ones that you can choose. There's like a dwarf warrior and uh, a female warrior knight, um, a runaway like wizard person and uh, a a ranger, former royal ranger or something. So they got like four different very strong class archetypes of like, you know, your usual axe wielder, um, sword and shield. Archer, Dagger Specialist, and Magic Specialist, so you can kind of try different flavors for the beta, which is, uh, is pretty neat. So I chose the Sword Maiden, and um, there's, like I said, there was a Dwarf, there's this, it seems like there's like a, a Drow or whatever at some point that was in my party um, when I was Venic and he parted ways. So like they have a bunch of different races, but as the game clearly states, the races don't really matter except for gameplay flavor. And in like your character sheet, it'll show there's a bio that tells you about the characters, and so it all just kind of contributes to world building. And same with picking a gender, there's not much to it, but it will potentially offer some different conversation options. Which I did see playing um, as the girl. I went into one of the stores, and the guy was like, "Huh, a woman wielding a sh- sword? Like i never." and then it was basically the choice of just to ignore him or just be like, you've got a problem with that, which starts a whole different conversation strain. So it's kind of
2: Was there a third neat.
0: option to just beat his ass? <laughs> Sadly, there was not. not uh, pro- possibly because she's wise enough knowing that there are guards outside everywhere. Maybe
2: maybe that branches off from the second option. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's possible. I, uh, I, I did go with the, uh, well, do you have an issue with that? And he just kind of explained, like, maybe I'm just a curmudgeon, but this and this and that. And it was more than fed into a general grumbling at like the swords for hire at large as opposed to just simply women, but mostly just like, yeah, I guess just him saying like, eh, as if it's gotten this bad that even women now have to fight kind of thing. I don't
1: know. I love when constructive dialogue happens in RPGs. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's, it was funny too, because uh, actually in that commentary he actually also calls out that RPG uh, classic um, what's the word I'm looking for? Trope of the fact that the adventurers come in Talk a big talk, take everything that's not nailed down, and then go out and die. <laughs> and so I was just like, "Oh, I get what you're saying here." Whereas, again, this game is very much painting itself as—I uh, mean, you could be that if you want to. But the the biggest thing is is that like you're not. None of these people are the chosen one, and you're not the chosen one either. So you're like just as likely to end up as dead as the rest of them, regardless of how good you say you are, kind of thing. Uh, to the point that he says uh, the guards have gotten. Very good at cleaning entrails out of the trees around town, even better than their actual job. Because if they were good at their actual job, we wouldn't need you, anyways. So, some some good shade thrown at uh, RPG tropes, and I guess the guards of town. So, I'm uh, wandering the wilderness now at this point, trying to get to this next quest that I took on for the the mayor. I got murdered by wolves, so I had to restart. They're surprisingly well. I guess not surprising. There's three of them, but they're they they mauled me real good, <laughs> as wolves do. Right? Uh, yeah, Don't Mess With
2: Wolves is uh, the moral of the story. And yeah, Dances With Wolves is a very misleading title and not and not a recommended lifestyle.
0: <laughs>
2: they always make it seem so,
0: like, the wolves are so nurturing. They'll just welcome you in their pack, right?
2: Isn't how it's supposed to work? No, maybe in the Jungle Book, but not in RPGs.
0: Apparently not. Wolves wolves will attack you
2: in packs, in fact.
0: Exactly. Uh, or just run away, one or the other. Either way, these ones did not. They attacked a deer, and I thought I could go while they were attacking a deer, but one of them saw me, and then they chased me, and it was did not end well. So, moral of the story, it's a very cool, procedurally generated game. Like Even when I died and came back and went to the stores, uh, they had different items available, so all that stuff kind of replenishes it seems with each. I'm not sure if every single time I start up the game or not, but it is nice to know that everything will kind of refresh, so I don't have to, I guess only be stuck with the same stuff but at the same time if there was something I was eyeing it sucks that it's gone so there is that aspect and uh, otherwise it's just it's a pretty gorgeous game and I do hope like I said that some balancing happens throughout but I've been enjoying my preview experience more than not I, uh, I think I'm rising to the challenge that this game presents in its ridiculousness uh, and uh, as you have told me you're a fan of the rogues and roguelikes and stuff Jono it's probably up your alley once it gets like, the before release
1: and such. Yeah, I mean, the trick is changing your perspective of progress. You're learning the mechanics and mastering the mechanics has to be the progress rather than actually accomplishing anything.
0: Well, yeah, like I cleared the prologue finally because I started playing a bit more cautiously and trying to kite out enemies and keep some distance and waiting for spells to recharge uh, using a ranged weapon when I could and stuff like that. Mm. But again, even that like, factors in, like, you're not guaranteed to hit things at range, too, which is always funny when I cast a spell of Firebolt, and it hit a door next to the monster instead of the monster. That's very frustrating, but that's just, you know, sometimes you miss. Or arrows go over their head and stuff like that, and you're like, dang it! Sometimes they break, sometimes you can retrieve them. And uh, even then, that mechanic seems a little broken, which is annoying, because there'll be times where, like, it seems I can pick up arrows, but if I run out of arrows, because it does the whole thing where you have a bow in one hand and the arrows in the other, and that's basically how you have equipped... Um, ammunition but if you run out of the ammunition and you try to pick them up off the ground but your inventory's full it won't pick them up which is really obnoxious Oof. yeah that's uh, one oversight i'd like to see them change like there's no way because i remember in diablo and even torchlight if you had your inventory open and you picked up something off the ground even if your inventory was full if you had a hand free that you could equip it you at least had the option to drag it to a legal space so to speak Hmm. but it doesn't count anything outside of the actual inventory section as a legal space. So I'm also hoping there's a backpack or something because, yeah, it's very, uh, again, the the small inventory, it's going to kill me. I, I don't miss having, uh, I miss having my Torchlight animal with me, having my ferret with me that I could send back
2: to town. That that's that was always a brilliant mechanic in, tor- in Torchlight that oh. I'm glad they're embracing.
0: Yeah, it's... I love it, and uh, I wish more games had that.
2: Yeah, the trailers for Torchlight Three are pretty encouraging. Uh, it looks good. They, they, yeah, they added the golden retriever to the available pets, and one of the uh, one of the uh, classes is called a forge, where you're basically a a robot that can attach four weapons to itself. Oh, dope! <laughs> it's uh, I'm 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 excited by that one. I, I I hope it turns out good. I think it's an alpha now.
0: As do I, because I really enjoyed my time with Torchlight One. And two, and uh, yeah, three is going to be, if it's just more improving on the same, then I'm down.
2: It's a different development team, and it's it, it was originally envisioned as an MMO called Torchlight Frontier, or maybe Frontiers. Which but could then have been they, pretty neat. It, it, it was a neat idea, but then they sort of backtracked that, and it's now Torchlight 3 and a standalone RPG again. But I am uh, I was ready to play it in whatever form it ends up being, and, and what we've seen so far looks pretty cool.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I can't... Uh...
2: Torchlight, two didn't have. Did it have multiplayer? Like basically. Uh, like, torchlight. Torchlight two did. One did not.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. So it's like Diablo and such. Where yeah, you could have someone in there running around with you, and that's you know really the only multiplayer that needs like having a massive multiplayer. I guess unless you start throwing in raids and yada yada like.
2: Yeah.
0: It would definitely yeah. change the shape of the game. Yeah, it's Diablo, but, but fun. But yeah,
2: but yeah, but I mean, Torchlight one is basically Diablo one, and Torchlight two is basically Diablo two in framework. But they had a lot of smart wrinkles including uh, a second inventory on your pet and an option for the pet to travel back into town and sell off yeah. its entire inventory. Oh, my favorite and that, thing. And, and Yeah, that, that was a brilliant twist. And it, looks like, it sounds like Stone Shard is definitely taking ideas from a lot of these popular loot RPGs and action RPGs, but maybe doesn't have as many of the modern amenities and ideas like like Torchlight 2 had. Yeah, or I haven't unlocked them yet. That's the other option. Right. Maybe it's something
0: I can get down the line. Well, so we'll see. Like, again, I'm still, I only just got out of the prologue, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, presentationally, it's something I, uh, it, it, the presentation is enough to keep me wanting more out of it. Like, I, I genuinely want to know what these characters are about, what they're trying to find, you know, who, who these people are. Like, I, all four of these characters, as much as, like, I was curious about these four archetypes you got to choose and and playing, like, something different from, like, your sword and shield. I was so uh, into the character I picked's backstory of her being, like, a forsaken uh, noble person, and, you know, just because she basically got taken for granted, uh, or, sorry, taken advantage of, and lost her whole family inheritance, basically. Like, I was actually invested in her story, so it's just, I'm wondering if more of that gets gets to come into play throughout the game, and how that will affect things, and, like I said, where the whole mystery of these stone shards and everything else is going to take me, so... If that's a good sign of that, it lets me get through like the troubling gameplay mechanics, uh, then I, I will be back for more.
1: Yeah, it certainly doesn't sound like you're gonna stop playing. Exactly.
2: And this is in beta, so there's uh, there's plenty of room for them to, uh, uh, to to add improvements from from fan feedback.
0: Absolutely, which yeah, they've been it seems consistently patching. So it's only a matter of time uh, when it reaches obviously its best state, so to speak. But uh, moving along, as uh, we should, we have Giano playing some more Yakuza 5 <laughs> and other stuff. But uh, how's the Yakuza 5 experience been going? Have you finished it up yet? Finally beat it,
1: yep. It uh, it was great. I have to say it might... It, again, I haven't played 6 or Judgment yet, but it might actually be my favorite. It may ha- It's neck and neck with 0. I was going to say, did it trump 0? So it's neck and neck, not quite. 0 has a better story. Um, like, not even close. Zero has an incredible story. Uh, Fives loses focus consistently, and I think that's just because there's multiple protagonists. Uh, and because of that, it does, every character kind of picks up their own thread of the story, and they all come together in the end. And the problem is, it doesn't all come together properly, and there are still a lot of loose ends and plot threads that just don't really get followed up on. Um, but it, oh, that's a bummer. It is a bit of a bummer. But in terms of mechanics, and in terms of content, uh, sheer gameplay content, the game is just mind numbing. And I talked a lot about it in the last episode. Um uh but but you hadn't gotten much into um the 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 daughter. Yeah, the uh, her yeah. is a rhythm uh rhythm idol simulator game. Yeah, so how did that <laughs> basically how much of that was the the second half of the game? I think like I said when I I think I was just starting it in the last episode. I uh I've never really been a fan of Guitar Hero or like rhythm games. They're just not really my thing, but I Fell in love with the gameplay very, very quickly, um, and the there are three songs that you have to learn. You're in the you're in this what's called the Princess League, and it's a uh, it's a reality show where you're competing with this this duo, and whoever wins is going to get a recording contract. Um, so there are three songs that you need to learn the dance and the the lyrics to. You don't. All you need to learn is what buttons to push when. Um, you can practice them all you want to perfect them, um, and then you get up and you perform them in front of a live studio audience and what i didn't realize until i finished the game is you can actually lose and uh the game will continue from there it's not like it's a branching path or anything like that but uh the, the storyline will adapt accordingly oh that's pretty cool it is it doesn't, it's not pass fail which is cool but the the songs are some of the they're some of the most. They're earworms in a way that I don't, I can't think of a lot of other songs are. Uh, the main song, so much more. You hear it non stop. It's, 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 I think it's actually, a, they're trying to like simulate what it is to be an idol and have to sing the same stupid song non stop all the time. Um, because you're singing, you're playing, singing it, you're doing it every like 10 minutes for almost the entire, her entire section. But eventually you start, at least I started to develop a, uh, uh, a dependency on hearing this song and now and then i'm done the with the game every every couple of days i'll pop on youtube and just plug in the song and just listen to it
0: <laughs> you're
1: hooked i'm hooked and it it's it sing it's in my head like it'll just play in my head when i'm in bed and it's a problem because i don't speak japanese so it's just it's just like gibberish in my head that sounds vaguely like the song except for the word shiny there's one english word in the song shiny and that's the only as word
0: vaguely try and sing along as i vainly try to sing along <laughs> in <Shine>. my head <laughs> yeah, exactly
1: um and there's also a a dance battle mechanic where you uh, again there are a bunch of other songs that i think are original music and you like do dance battles on the streets uh and this replaces the usual yakuza uh killing someone with a bicycle method of combat for her right. section anyway. Um and it's just the other two
0: characters basically that's their whole uh, mechanic,
1: right? F- uh three actually. Wait, four. Oh, I thought there was just three. Okay. Wow. No, right. there's there's five character five playable characters in this thing. The the yak is a five and is a five. Yep. Uh except yeah, it's five playable characters. And the game I think I mentioned like there are all these different locations. There are all these different like fully realized neighborhoods of these cities and the sad part is you are just playing them for each chapter you can return to them after but there's no game there's no real story reason to do so so you can just kind of wander around and that's about it yeah you can get in a taxi and return to the city you came from but it's sort of it just it doesn't it feels a little wasteful like these are these are fully realized places that they only use for individual chapters um And uh, I would have liked to have gotten to know these areas a little bit better or even to return to them as other characters or that would have been kind of cool. But then again, I can't really complain just because there's so much content in this game. I honestly don't think they could have packed any more in. I mean, like I think I mentioned that there's a full uh, taxi, taxi simulator, there's a racing game, there is a hunting mini game, there's a baseball mini game, there's the dance mini game. uh, And they're, full, they're pretty fully realized. Some of them are better realized than a lot of commercial releases. Um.
2: Um, I, the only Yakuza game I've played is the Fist of the North Star game that by the same team that came out in 2018. And the minigames are a highlight in that one too, but with some twists. Uh, the, the baseball minigame is whacking bikers off of their bikes with steel beams. And the, the dance minigame in that is going to a clinic and beating off Uh, I should. Whoops! Uh, And and uh, and (laughs) woohoo! um, Yeah, and and alternate alternating punching dudes with hitting sick people with pressure points to the tune of, I don't know, the eighteen twelve overture or 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 something. It's
1: well after you said that that entire sentence just sounds like a really bad euphemism. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah, but the whoops. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I I mean, the uh, if you can beat off people to until they owed to joy. But anyway, um. (laughs) <laughs> I was not impressed that much by the Fist of the North Star game. Yeah, I saw your but, tweets about uh, it. But, but yeah, but the uh the mi- the mini games being a major highlight is definitely true of that one. So I'm not surprised that it's also true of the of one of the biggest Yakuza releases. I I'm I was a little turned off after Fist of the North Star, I, d- I didn't think it was a very satisfying game, but I'm I am still Yakuza curious, and I own copies of uh, Kiwami and Zero, so I'll, I'll I'll I might try and play one of those later this year. Maybe I can talk some people into podcasting uh, I, about. I don't
1: it. I have a clue who you'd be able to uh, convince that. Um, yeah, there's I mean there's all there's some Yakuza fans on the site. Uh, I'm you know a reasonably recent convert, but yeah, I I think I think you'd like it. It's I've heard I've heard mixed things about North Star. Um. I suspect at some point I will play it after I finish the rest of the se- series. I'm probably just going to be like needing that Yakuza hit and I'll try it out.
2: I, um, I, I don't know if I can really recommend it. It's a, it's a weird condensed bastardized version of the, uh, fist of the North star part one story. And the, the part one story is the only one mm. people care about. Uh, and some of the over the top n- nonsense in the combat is great. But around the thousandth time you do a head explosion finisher, it, it loses a little bit of its luster.
1: does get a little bit like that too. Eventually, you're like you're running around these cities and you're just constantly being jumped by. I mean, the, the joke that I love is what kind of what kind of like street punk walk, walks around the street and sees, uh, Kiryu standing there like this giant brick wall of a man, and they're like, that's an easy mark. Let's steal his money. Yeah. Okay. No like every single every five minutes, there's someone who's like, this is gonna be easy. Um. Let's roll them over. But after you after you get to higher levels, I mean the amount of experience you're gaining from individual combat is negligible. So it's not really leading you to the next level. And then after you finally get to your maximum level, there's really not a lot of reason to fight these guys, but running away from them is a pain in the butt and uh, you sometimes just end up in combat and it's just it does get a little bit boring um, in some games more than others. That was, I think, one of my major criticisms of uh, Kawame 1 when I first played it. And I think it's one of those mechanics that you just eventually kind of get used to, uh, the random combat. Um, but, I mean, with an RPG like Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, you're still gaining experience um, until you get to like the level cap, which is usually insane. Um, it's a little less insane with Akuza though. Like, Realistically speaking, you can max your level out, but yeah, I—I uh, I mean, Mike, if you wanna, if you decide you wanna play one of the games, uh, and you wanna talk about it, I am absolutely there.
2: Yeah, that that may yet happen. Um, but we have uh, retro encounter games play uh, planned through May. But there's plenty of 2020 yeah. left. And and I and I am interested in playing some more Yakuza after my slightly disappointing experience with Fist of the I think Zero North Star.
1: would probably be a. Uh... I, I, like, highly recommend in terms of the story for people to play Kiwami 1. I seem to be in the m- minority about that. I just firmly believe that a prequel is better if you already have a familiarity with the characters. That way you get to see where they came from and who they were before you played the game. That's part of the charm of a prequel, and... But that being said, Yakuza 0 works perfectly well as a standalone title.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I listened I to I last mentioned. week's episode where you thought it was a better idea to play Kiwami 1, and I've... Uh, I've asked around a little bit, and the consensus seems to be that uh, Kiwami 1 is valuable for j- just to introduce you to the world and characters, but uh, *but Zero is a more entertaining game. Zero is the best the game in the series, it is. And I mean, it is... 5
1: is giving it a run for its money in terms of gameplay, but yeah, it's the best game in the series.
2: And well, my podcast is called Retro Encounter, and which of those is more retro, the one that takes place in the 2000s or the one that takes place in the 80s? Right.
1: I mean, if you really <laughs> wanted to go retro, you could force us to play Yakuza 1. Oh, not even Kwame.
2: <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't think any. I don't think anybody would enjoy that. Uh,
1: that there's a small the part of me that just wants to go and give it a shot and see what it's like to play. I think I'd probably play it for like 15 minutes and be like, nope, nope, nope. Well, didn't that kind of happen in the the lunar stuff where you had the different versions and someone wasn't
0: playing the optimal version of Lunar uh, One? Or was it two? What in the lunar podcast? What? Because there's two different versions. Oh, okay. Wasn't um, there, um,
2: there, there are, there are, and there are several some versions, yeah, and um, um, and w- uh, one, one pen Two or some par. Was, was, yeah, um, I think Rob yes. Fenner was playing the mobile ver, the mobile version, oof, and uh, Lunar's a little different because uh, I mean the original Sega CD version and the remakes for Saturn and PS1 are significantly different games, uh, but I, I, I think that uh, in in the case of Yakuza, Kiwami would be. A much better idea than going back to Yakuza One, unless unless for it's for historical curiosity reasons. Um, But uh, again, my knowledge of it it is a little limited, and my more uh, my uh, real reason for that is well, I have Kuwami already, and you can get it easily (laughs) on P on PSN. And I'm not sure there's a way to play PS2 Yakuza One unless you find a PS2 hard copy. Yeah, that's fair.
1: I think all of the ones I think right now. Who knows when this thing is going to be released? But I think all of them are on sale right now on Steam as
2: possibly i i got zero on sale they go on sale regularly enough to, uh that i think waiting for a sale is not the worst idea if you're if you're um again interested but not dedicated it was probably in the big I in agree. japan
0: sale too i imagine it was on on the ps4
2: yeah the big in the big in japan sale just ended it ended on uh on march 5th or 6th but it seems to be but annual the, uh, so but the fifth. we'll probably come back
1: again yeah mm-hmm. I know it just ended because I, oh, I I I literally just bought Yakuza Six in Judgment. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was like, last day of sale. Do I really want it? Yes. <laughs>
2: I'm 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 really interested in Judgment because I I might have mentioned this on a podcast, and I apologize. But uh, the the main character of Judgment is a uh, a pretty well known Japanese celebrity. Um, I forget his full name, but it's it's it, they, he's usually called Takun or Ta, or Takikun. Uh, he's a uh, he, he, and he was on a uh, extremely popular Japanese drama called Hero in the early 2000s, which was also about a uh, a sort of vigilante do good uh, lawyer. Right. Yes,
0: I do remember you talking about this now. Yeah. It,
2: yeah, yeah, and uh, and that show is it's one of the best J dramas I've ever seen. And the fact that the first video game that this Japanese TV star uh, is using his likeness for is a yakuza adjacent game about a uh, a lawyer with nothing to lose is. Is a, is a little bit apt, and also, and also, people like it. I mean, I'm, I think uh, Zach reviewed it for the website and gave it a and gave it a pretty good score. He did, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm very interested in Judgment, but I'm, I'm going to try a, a main series, yeah, a game before I jump to that.
1: Well, you know, it would be cool. I mean, I I recommend you try a main series, but uh, with Judgment, I mean, it's completely unrelated to the rest of the storylines, it, but it takes place in the same neighborhood. Um, and the, one of the things I love about this series is because every game takes place in the same neighborhood, you get to see it develop and change over uh, a couple of decades. Like I've mentioned, I, I think it'd be cool if like your first experience with, it, with the Yakuza series was in a modern version of uh, the neighborhood, and then you got to go back and see what it was like earlier on. But I mean, yeah, I, again, I recommend playing any one you want. It's It's a great series. I, I'm, I'm
2: interested, and it may yet happen. It may yet be podcasted about, but that is speaking in the future tense. It's true. So maybe you yes. should say in the present. Well, I
0: can use this as a uh, a really easy segue because other games that deal with idol culture and accurate uh, representations of their uh, neighborhoods huh. <laughs> would be Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Sharp FE Encore, uh, which just came out for the Switch back in January, I believe. Yeah, it was the 17th, and then yes. it was originally released back in 2015 of December so it's been a, a few years since we got a nice remaster Nathan said it was a pretty faithful well done remaster when he was on the episode last time and so you've mm-hmm. been playing it as well because we have uh, some podcasts coming up involving it do we not
2: yes Nathan and I are going to be podcasting about it later this month uh, wait no no that's a lie uh, The no no it's right yeah later this month um, episodes in late March and I'm uh, about halfway through I think I'm, uh, I'm in chapter 4 and I think the game has six chapters, or maybe six plus finale kind of uh, kind of deal. So around halfway done, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, the irony th- the irony of it is that it was marketed as SMT Cross FE, it's like shouldn't should get my Tensei and Fire yeah. Emblem? But really, really, this is just 80% of the way to being a Persona game. It is, yeah, uh, uh, it, it's Persona action um persona quotidian elements like going around town and hanging out with your friends and uh and the gameplay is basically hammering weaknesses and upgrade and upgrading your um your mirage in this game but it's it's similar it's to basically a, a, persona, a, a right? concept of yeah. persona. <laughs> basically a persona yeah it, it's um i i, I don't have a, a very deep interest in idol culture stuff And um, when I complete a side quest and they reward me with a new skill and an anime girl music video, I'm much more interested in the new skill. Um, But uh, I I think mechanically, this RPG is really, really rock solid. Uh, When you pull off long combos, uh, um, it's really satisfying. Uh, The combat, like they're consistently adding wrinkles to combat and giving you new stuff to play with every chapter and every upgrade and uh, every, every character represents sort of a Fire Emblem character or a Fire Emblem class, but they all fit together very well. Uh, it, it's, it's a really good entertaining RPG that I think almost in spite of all the Japanese inter- entertainment industry nonsense. Um, so if you really don't like pastel colored anime tv shows about idol girls like love live or or thereabouts then maybe uh this isn't the game for you but if you can at least tolerate that then this is a really good rpg with a vernier of japanese pop music that i sometimes like sometimes don't but uh but the the rpg part of the rpg is great
0: it definitely kind of looks like uh excitement and joy the rpg just because of its color palette and yeah, just how explosive all that is coupled with the pop elements.
2: Everything is so flashy. Like every attack is just out of over the top or goofy or has a rainbow explosion attached to it. Um, And, and, and again, eventually uh, if you hit enemy weaknesses and you have enough and you have enough session skills, session skills basically means uh, like skills that are able to chain together. You can get, uh, I think the highest I've gone is a 16 hit combo chain and watching a, a sixteen-hit combo chain with a sort of special move in the middle and a finisher move at the end is just, just a delight. Like <laughs> I, 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 love seeing uh, huge numbers appear after RPG after attacks in an RPG. It's part of why I play RPGs. So it's part of why I'm a, and it's like seventy percent of the reason why I'm a. i am yeah, I was going to say i like I feel like this but, is a very particular niche mm-hmm. for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I I love watching numbers incrementally increase. Let me tell you. But, uh, but yeah, this game is basically a persona game with, um, some SMT elements in the writing and combat, because this is developed by Atlas, and Fire Emblem elements really just with style and imagery. Like, like the, the enemy, the elemental weaknesses are the Fire Emblem weapon types. And, uh, you summon Fire, em- the seven main characters summon seven Fire Emblem characters from either, uh, Fire Emblem 1 or Fire Emblem Awakening. Because, I mean, this game came out in 2015 and one is the, you know the original Fire Emblem is the classic, and Awakening came out in 2013, shortly before uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions did. So it's a uh, it's really good. Um, don't go in there expecting a hardcore Shin Megami Tensei nocturne or four, and don't go in there expecting a um, a, uh, a a thoughtful tactical RPG like Fire Emblem. Um, but you know, like a game that has sprinklings of those two things, but is basically a goofy Persona game that that is. That's what this game is, and I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, again, I'm about halfway through, and there's no danger of me finishing it in time. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, get this one finished in time, as long as Final Fantasy XIV doesn't uh, take over my entire life,
0: <laughs> which it definitely is at risk of doing.
2: Y- yeah, it hasn't gotten there, but it is. There's always a chance.
0: Well, with Final Fantasies, uh taking over lives, we have our. Good old Final Fantasy VII remake coming out soon, and the demo just dropped, which I sadly hasn't been able to take over my life. But there was definitely a lot of chatter in our Slack channel of people being like, "Cool, I'm just going to quit work for the day and uh, just going to play this." But Mike, you were saying because it's it's uh, Gaz, it's got a lot of similarities to the E3 demo. You didn't have to put as much time into it per se.
2: Oh well, no, I mean I put the full amount oh, of you time did go into it, it. But
0: okay,
2: cool. uh, the, the, yeah, the, the E3 demo, which I think is the same one that was shown at uh, both PAXes or maybe three PAXes and also gamescom it was about 15 minutes and this demo starts before the e3 demo and, and and goes a little bit past it it's 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 basically the entire bombing mission and a little bit after the scorpion boss while the de- demo i played last year was just a few mobs of enemies before the scorpion boss and then the scorpion boss if you, if you're uh if you're aware of the first hour of final yeah. fantasy 7 you know what i'm talking and about and
0: how long does the demo really take
2: about an hour, I think th- between forty-five minutes okay, and an hour. Okay, so
0: still, it's a good sampling, basically.
2: Yes, it's. It, it I think it's the very beginning of the game. Maybe with a few, maybe with a few pieces cut out a Perhaps, little bit. Yeah, I'm wondering but, if it will uh, uh, let
0: you just pick up, yeah. in the full game or not, or if it'll, if there's any benefit to your save data or whatever.
2: I don't think so. I mean, there isn't enough. Worth saving, I think, especially if the uh, if the full game is a little bit more fully featured than this. I uh, I I doubt there's a carryover, but it, but it might be. I haven't I haven't done any research into that. I
0: mean, I mean, uh, most of these games these days, I guess, do uh, some sort of benefit if they detect, I guess, demo data. So they might be like you'll get a cool material or something. Yeah, but,
2: but I mean, but. but... But this isn't like the Dragon Quest XI Switch demo, which can go up to 20 hours, and you really, are, and you would really want that to carry over. This is yeah. just a, this is just a perhaps truncated version of the very beginning. That, uh, that, that's just to get fans a little excited. Absolutely.
0: And like, and people know are what?
2: very excited. I mean, I think the, uh, I think it's been well received, and it, I mean, uh, I, I hope my, I don't seem too muted on this podcast, because it's, it's awesome. Like, like, this makes me more interested to playing, uh, to playing the remake and I, it was already a day one purchase for me
0: and it seems like a great way to kind of try before you buy for sure like if you weren't yes mm-hmm. sold this is the the best way to figure out if you will be because it's i think the biggest thing for a lot of people is will they like the new mechanics and if this has enough of the battles and stuff like that for people who couldn't demo it at e3 this is the way to find out will i like this new p- gameplay system which some people have been comparing to 15 um and you've like you said played it at e3 and now playing it here is it very similar to 15's mechanics, or
2: I haven't played a lot of fifteen, but um, I I think it's a little bit more, uh, a little bit more relaxed than fifteen. Um, you basically you you walk around and can do regular attacks which deal a, a very small amount of damage, but do build up the enemy's stun meter. So if you chain enough attacks together, you can, uh, you can stun enemies. But while you're doing these light attacks. Um, your three characters have their uh, their ATB meters going up, just like an, an old Final Fantasy game before 2000. Mm. And um, and when it's someone's turn, uh, you're able to go to that character, and it not quite pauses, but it goes into like super slow motion. So like in the background, people are still barely moving. But and uh, but instead of doing a like a regular attack, magic item, or like like you would in an old Final Fantasy game, you only have special attacks. Or, or item, so it's not like there's no regular attack option when it, when you use someone's ATB meter. Uh, okay, so, so it's not quite as uh, I
0: guess control heavy as say twelve was with swapping between characters and such.
2: No, I think it's a little bit more active than twelve. It's, it's like it's like you're doing regular attacks and moving around, but then when it's someone's AT when someone's ATB meter goes up all the way, then you can use the use an item or cast a spell or use a special attack. It, but it's not. It's just that. Not all of your moveset is determined by the ATB; just the moves that matter. Gotcha. And uh, I'm not, and I'm not sure exactly uh, if it preserves the same limit break system that old FF Seven did, because Braver and Cross Slash are just sort of special attacks that Cloud has now, um, and and Cloud and Barrett feel very different because their movements and and uh, and attacks outside of ATB are very different. Um, so they feel more unique to control and less like you know just uh, just characters on the screen that that have slightly different choices in their menus. And that's great. Um, mm-hmm. But it it, uh, it it felt great. Um, I know that people, a lot of people, feel very strong, have strong feelings about Final Fantasy VII, and for it to quote unquote turn into an action RPG is very distasteful to some fans. But it's it's not that. It, this is they're really trying to bridge the gap between an action RPG and an old-school Final Fantasy game from 4 through 9. It seems to be getting
0: really, um... It seems like they're nailing it really well, paying really good attention to those things and trying to mix it as best they can.
2: It's definitely a mix. It doesn't feel like either of those things. It does not feel like a pure-action RPG or exactly like an old Final Fantasy game. But But what it is is really fun and intriguing. And balancing the ability to deal a lot of damage to bosses with, uh... Um, with, with building the stun meter to try, because it, it, when when an enemy is stunned, they take extra damage, and there's extra stuff you can do, and doing things like targeting the scorpion uh, robot's legs and tail for it to trip over or or, uh, or to interrupt its attacks is uh, a little bit more, a, a little bit more uh, nuanced than what the boss boss battle was in 1997. There's mm-hmm. it, it's like like, like this. Is, there was a little bit of that in 1997, but yeah, not Yeah, they this, tried their no, best not to, not to give a little level.
0: tactical element, but this definitely ups that ante, which is something I found 15 was missing, even though I enjoyed the combat. It didn't have enough of that tactical element to it, and I think there, this is nice a, to introduce that.
2: There's a surprising amount of tactical elements to the the combat from what Little Life played, but uh, which is, again, 15 minutes last year and then 45 minutes a few days ago. Yeah, and I need to dive uh, in
0: myself, and then I'll have to weigh in. But
2: but 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 <laughs> we'll what this an is answer. is extremely exciting and extremely promising. Um, I, I think that uh, this feels really good so far. But uh, of course, I mean, there's a still a lot for this game to prove in terms of its final product, especially it's uh, standing in the shadow of one of the most popular RPGs of all time. So there's, uh, I mean, this is this is not time for a final verdict, but this right. is an exciting demo that you should play. Also, uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned this. If you uh, download the demo, I think before the end of April, maybe maybe a little bit later, maybe it's like a date in May, then you get a uh, a free PS4 theme at the time of when the game releases. Which is
0: great, actually. It's really mm-hmm. it's a it's a rare thing for them to release a, a free one, let alone and, and usually like because uh, usually you have to buy like pre buy. Pre-order and then yeah. you get that stuff. So getting it from the demo and it's a really nice looking theme.
2: It is, and uh, usually a theme like that uh, will be available for five bucks like a year after the game comes out. But but still, it's it's a it's a nice extra carrot on the stick for fans, and uh, and it is a nice looking theme.
1: It's one of those games that I just, I think everyone's on the same page. I I can't believe it exists just because of the length of time that we've been talking about a Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, I think the, I think the graphic demo was in 2005 for the PlayStation 3, and then it's been 15 years since then, and this thing was announced five years ago, and the idea it's finally coming out is sort of mind-blowing.
0: Well, it's, yeah, the fact that it's a real thing, and it's a really good-looking thing, I was going to ask you, actually, Mike, um, back on Retro 184 in 2018, I think it was December 2018, no, it wasn't December, it was, uh, blah, 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 August? uh when you had a few it was you leona rob and uh rob rogan and peter when you were talking about your hopes and fears for it how much ah, yes. is any of that lining up so far i mean we obviously haven't seen the full thing but even just in these opening moments um, do you remember much from that
2: yeah people were uh, concerned about specific plot points and um and Peter would really want, was hoping the game was go, go into a more turn based direction and I think it's gone more in that direction than he than I assumed it would so I, I hope Peter's happy with it uh, because I, I think the turn based parts of this combat feel good uh, but um we, we were talking about a few more big picture things on that podcast that won't, that might not even be visible in this release since yeah, again true. this is this is this Just is a gar- this is a part. Yeah, this is a part one that ends either at the end of Midgar or maybe just after the end of Midgar. Like, like my theory from the beginning was this was going to end in Calm,
0: but uh that'd be a good spot. M- I I agree.
2: Yeah, but it, it sounds like that Sephiroth is going to make an appearance before Calm because remember in the, in the original Final Fantasy VII, you don't see Sephiroth until the flashback. You just see the aftermath of a, a horrible run of murder he does in Midgar. <laughs> yeah, but and but uh, but the but we Midgar see, Zolom we see- is after Calm, right? Yeah, the midgarzolam is is ex- right. immediately after uh, that right. at, outside the chocobo ranch place. But the uh, so uh, I, I don't know exactly uh, how much of the stuff we talked about in that episode will uh, manifest here. Like I remember us being concerned about the uh, about the honeybee inn. But, um, and we see the Honeybee in briefly in a, in one of the recent trailers for the game. I think mm-hmm. the trailer that came it's out in February. That's exciting. <laughs> but it, but it, lo- yeah. it looks like a Busby Berkeley musical or something. It looks, it's, a, it's <laughs> it looks, uh, it's, I, I, it looks crazy. And that, that's a, uh, uh that's a much more fun interpretation, uh, than the sort of gross wireistic stuff from the original release. So I'm, uh, like, I, I don't know. How much I love all the choices this game makes, especially since uh, Final Fantasy VII is not my favorite FF game, but it is a game that's very important to me. Uh, I'm my feelings are overwhelmingly more positive than negative going into going into this hype cycle.
0: It would be really neat once the full release comes out of this and the sequel or all three parts or whatever it is, and going back and listening to that. Uh, to episode 148 and just seeing where things landed and then having like a revisit with the panel and be like so are
1: we all happy are we not <laughs> it'd be kind of fun anyways that's for you it's to figure an- out it's funny we were talking earlier about how about how uh, square does fan service and how good they are at it and i find i'm i'm vaguely amused by the fact that like this game really is playing up fan service because they know exactly how much final fantasy 7 means to people but right down to the demo. I remember what it was like in 1996, uh, with when the demo of Final Fantasy VII came out, and how exciting it was, and how you got this tape. I think it's almost—I think it's the same slice of the game. It um, is. Yeah,
0: someone was saying this is the exact same demo, basically yeah. that was released originally, although you had to get it through like a magazine disc kind of thing. Uh,
1: to- I think it was um, a Tobal One. It was a fighting game. It was a disaster. I remember renting it from Abercrombie Video just to play the. Uh, Demo of Final Fantasy VII.
2: Abercrombie Video, um, take a shot. That's the game that had some uh, Akira Toriyama designs.
1: I th- can't remember. I, I think I, I think I played it for like three and a half minutes, and then I just played the Final Fantasy seven demo for the rest of the weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah.
2: Um, I, I remember um, yeah, number two. Yeah, Tobel number two is famously. Uh, uh, a game that was never released worldwide but it was a fighting game for the PlayStation and then the sequel for PlayStation 2 that w- with character designs from Akira Toriyama creator of uh, Dragon Ball and artist of Dragon Quest
1: Nope, same here uh Tobal number 1 has the same uh designer
2: yep yeah. i i i played a little bit of Tobal number 1 but Tobal number 2 is sort of a famously uh the west never got it
1: kind of game that i've only read about I'm pretty sure that despite the fact that it, let's see here, I got okay reviews, but I mean, realistically speaking, Square, they knew what Squaresoft, as they were known at the time, knew what they were doing. They knew what was going to be a vehicle for the seven, uh, demo, but the fact that they're just, it, that this demo has sort of raised the same level of excitement, uh, that the original demo did. It's the same slice of the game. It's there. It's, it's almost like fan service as marketing. Um, and it's, I, I think it's genius.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. We the, those conversations were coming up actually with the coupled with the hype of this game of the the demo discs and you know some oftentimes there were games that we got for the demo discs. I mean, I think I, my friends had that happen with Armored Core. He got a, a like a PlayStation magazine or some gaming magazine and it came with a demo disc for the original Armored Core. and We played that thing so much, mm. uh, with and it was so limited and like you know people were trying to get the Final Fantasy VIII one, but that came with Brave Fencer Musashi. Is that right? I forgot. At any rate, uh, it was a very interesting time, and uh, the marketing—the fact that yeah, it worked out—and exactly right. Like they knew what they were doing and they knew what they had on their hands, and it may not have the original game may not have worked out, but at least people uh, knew what they wanted from Seven. That's for sure, and mm-hmm. it's no surprise that they would do the same thing here, right? Was there even any like leak of like? This demo coming out because it was just a complete surprise to me. That it was just like, "Hey, waking up, here it is."
2: I don't remember uh, because it, it also dropped in like something like three a.m. on East Coast time.
1: Yeah, it took me off and uh,
2: too. and uh, and and it was it, everyone seemed surprised. If there if there was a leak, I didn't I didn't hear it.
0: Yeah, so I think it was a total just surprise. Enjoy. So that's pretty. We get cool. so few of these nowadays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because everything either gets leaked or yeah, they telegraph it from forever, or they're saying it's. Coming out, whatever. It, I mean, it, usually we get those surprises at E3 or maybe during, a, like, a Nintendo Direct, and that's about it. It's going to be very hard to top the surprise of um, Trials of Mana, that's for sure, and the whole Mana collection.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. That uh, that completely blew my mind. I, I was at our, uh, at our hotel room with some other RPG fan people in Los Angeles when we got that announcement. and I, I just started laughing uncontrollably. I didn't know how to process it. Right? Yeah. Uh, you're like uh, Chrono when, he, when he's confused. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And and, and I do the I do the Kefka laugh that somehow also made it into Chrono Trigger. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: With I uh, think we're uh, likely I, to get more of those surprises recently with the with the cancellations of all of the uh conventions. I think we're gonna be looking at a lot more directs from a lot more developers in the near future.
0: hmm Yeah. I mean like there's obviously there's no concrete news and it's not something to get like too much into, but it's something we could definitely speculate, like you know, what's gonna happen now with COVID nineteen kind of swearing a lot of people away from conventions and it's been worth talking about that e3 has not necessarily been a dying breed but its relevance has been cast into question over the past few years and now even more developers are kind of backing off from what it's become i guess or just recognizing it's cheaper for us to just stream this
2: yeah because it's it's tremendously expensive to have a large booth space at e3 like just how many months they prepare for it takes away from developer resources and uh I've spoken to it's developers just at marketing. Yeah, I've spoken to developers at E3, and they and they said that they really only go to hang out with other developers, and um, uh, because preparing for E3 takes away from development, they usually have to make a demo that uh, is extra work that that could go towards the main game, and it's and it's expensive, and people are often traveling away from their offices. It's it's not always a fun thing for the game makers, but. Uh, it, it, it does get eyes on upcoming games. Um, but th- that was more important in an area. Well, that was more important in, in a time of pre streaming and, uh, and an area where with no, with no smartphones, yeah, where, um, where like where E3 wasn't, uh, was an event that would receive heavy magazine and website coverage. And it still receives heavy magazine and website coverage, but now, uh, um, these companies could easily stream an event like a Nintendo Direct or a, uh, I forget what Sony's version of that is called. But um, Sony also didn't have their December PlayStation experience in 2019, which they had in previous years. So I think that in general, moving away from physical conventions and to um, sort of these digital news blasts is a trend that's going to continue. And having, uh, and having the COVID-19 virus um, uh, really throw a, a wrench into people's travel plans is, again exacerbating it I think it's going to accelerate the trend yeah it's a move that was already happening and now uh I don't want to call this a death knell or anything but I think that e3 2020 is going to be scaled down further from 2019 and 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 also there is the issue of it uh of the of the the data leak that happened shortly after e3 last year
0: right yeah which you talked a bit about the pre-show and it's been talked of mm-hmm. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before but it's definitely something we've talked about amongst rpg van staff and some of our names are uh, from the team were on that list for sure uh that got leaked and that definitely put a bad taste in many people's mouths thankfully i don't think anything too bad came from it but it's the fact that it was even possible from something so big is a little ridiculous
1: yeah it was shocking and uh i think that if it if this does if it might happen this year like it has to be completely honest as of this recording it has not been canceled yet it is still on yeah um it is still on. If it is canceled, it will be interesting to see how uh, the 2021 E3 will look if it happens at all. But I think you're right. They might have to scale it back or they might have to change it into yeah. something else. In other words, it might it might need to evolve. Yeah, it definitely might need to get reshaped and it could yeah, turn into
0: a digital only show at some point. And which is, you know, the, the green person in me likes that from a resource management point of view that we're not re- wasting money and resources on totally expendable uh you know marketing crap you know there's posters and statues and all this stuff that really after that they do their kind of uh convention run i'll just probably end up in the garbage or if someone's lucky enough from staff gets to take it home until they don't care about it anymore but beyond that like it's just it's such a huge consumption of stuff but it is also yeah it's a wonderful mecca for journalists to get their hands on stuff and i guess now the public and take that for what it is letting the public in or not how much that has helped it or hurt it is up for debate i know there's uh, journalists still get their time with the stuff before the general public's allowed in if i'm not mistaken it's how it has been in the past couple of years that they've allowed it but it, it still crowds the floor once that all kind of opens up and it makes it hard to get to the demos and if you didn't get to them already kind of thing uh, i mean mike you've been to a bunch of them and Johnny you were looking forward to going this year, but now with it being postponed, who knows? I was looking forward, yeah. Or it's possible being postponed rather.
2: Yeah, I I I've been to the last four, and uh. Yeah, how marked um, was the
0: change from the first two you went to, and then the the most recent
2: two with uh, public being allowed? Um, the time where the public goes in, it everything became much more crowded and the, uh, it was really impossible to move around some of the biggest spaces. Like, like, uh, Nintendo always is one of the b- best designed, but also most crowded booths. And I think the wait to play, uh, Link's Awakening last year, um, was in the three hour range, uh, in the, uh, during the, um, after the public was allowed. And I, I remember, um, like two cocks. years, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, two years in 2018, I got in line to play Mega Man Eleven, the Mega Man Eleven demo, and it was a, a little over an hour. Um, but I, I had whatever. I had a 3DS. I think I, I think I, I played some Zelda and some Mega Man while waiting for Mega Man. But well <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it's. I think the most compelling part of going to E3 is playing, uh, playing pre-release games and talking to developers about the games they're making, and um, and and the public access version of E3 is much less of that because I mean, I, I'm going as, as part of RPG fans contingent. I, we have scheduled appointments to talk about, uh, th- to talk to developers and do private demos. Uh, that's a lot of work because we also have to do write-ups to do, but it's, uh, it, it's much more compelling than going and mostly waiting in line for, uh, access to fewer things than I would uh, have as a member of the press. So it's, I, I, I think that my favorite E3 might've been, um, might have been 2018 because that, that was just the one I had, that had the most games I was interested in because I got to play demos for Dragon Quest and Mega Man and, uh, and, uh, and discover a couple games I might not have uh, found out about otherwise. But that's really just because of the games I played. And um, E3 has been changing generally and is, uh, is less the sort of like, it feels less exclusive and secretive than the E3s I read about that happened in the 2000s and late 90s.
1: It sounds like it used to be a trade show, and now it's much more like a convention.
2: Yes, and it's it's still towing the line between tra- trade show and yeah. convention. Uh,
1: and you would argue if it had
0: if that was like the evolution it needed to make to stay relevant and keep making money. But it clearly still has some evolving to do to maintain its relevancy.
2: Yes. um... Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in the organization that runs E3, especially after that data leak last year. I think that uh, if it wants to continue to allow the public more time in, I think it should maybe expand to four days and have like one day be industry only, just so people can get a lot of work done without without the public, and then and then make the last three days uh, public and industry just to make just to give the public more time at the show and also just just give more more like make the public feel like they're part of they're part of the industry a little bit more give them more uh pre-release games to play instead of games that are already out and and less and try to have uh more demos available and less and less line waiting happen because it's it, it feels like a uh a, a it feels like a disappointing convention if you go as a member of the public. I think, and, and I think, and I think that if they tried to bridge the gap between developer and public a little more, uh, it w- that would be a smart move. But I'm not sure the best way to do that, and I'm not, and I'm not sure E3 in its current state can really do that, especially since uh, big players like Sony seem to be dropping out rather than getting, uh, rather than more likely to start up again. Yeah, yeah. And looking
1: at it from a consumer point of view, I like I totally get what they're after. They're after the same feeling that I got. When I would get like the E3 issue of Game Players when I was when I was in my teenage years, Ditto's the only
0: magazine I got every year, really.
1: Yeah, and I would like I would destroy that issue. Just I was at Christmas, I I was back at my parents' place, and I found like a box of them downstairs. And consistently, the E3 issues were just without covers; they were like missing pages, just because I would tear into them. Apparently, almost literally. Um, And that's what I think the audiences are after. They want that feeling that they're getting the preview, that they're getting to see something that not everybody else sees. They're getting the door opened and they get to peek inside. And if they're just playing games that are already released, that's not the experience that they want and they're after.
0: And I mean, to possibly, I guess, reach out to developers and stuff uh, more easily and get that direct contact. Yeah, like the streaming route might be the way to go because then developers can invest, uh, you know, slightly less money and time, but also the time and money they feel is much more constructive into a digital presentation, be it a live stream where they can then at the end of it do an FAQ and take some listener feedback, or you know, have pre-asked questions or whatever. Or if it is yeah, more in the than the vein of uh, Nintendo Direct and such like that. Like, they get to cater the experience and do it on their own time and budget and not have to send scads of people and product to the, the showroom floor, and that
1: gives fans a more immediate feedback, uh, I guess, a more immediate consumption of it, right? And I think on our side, this is a hunch. I have no idea if this is the case or not, but I have an odd feeling that with the advent of more video game streaming services, that game, game journalists, the press, so to speak, it's sort of You don't really have to go to E3 to play previews anymore. Eventually, they're just going to be able to stream the preview directly to individual uh, journalists, and they get to play for a predetermined length of time. And that is going to be infinitely cheaper than having to set up systems and bring people in and make appointments. Exactly. All they have to do is digitally set up a time in their servers where they say, okay, well... This site is playing it for an hour here, this site's playing it for an hour here, this site's playing it for an hour here, and they can get it all done in a day. Yeah, and they just get a, a dev on
0: the live stream with them, and then they can answer questions and talk through it and stuff, and you get you still get that connection, right? The big thing is just control, right? I guess the only reason why that hasn't happened before is because the worry of leaks and such.
1: Yeah, and I think if they're controlling, if the games are being run off their servers... They might have to worry about video leaks, but if they put a watermark on each one, they'll know exactly where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if Netflix can block
0: st- that sort of technology, except for the most like savvy people who really are trying to get around it, like yeah. there has
1: to be a way, but yeah, it's definitely the biggest thing for them to overcome is yeah, the control of how the material gets disseminated. And it wasn't until recently that this even was going to be a possibility. In fact, it's still not a possibility for people who do not have uh, ridiculously fast internet connections. True. Um, but in about... I don't know the next three to four years. That's gonna change. It's gonna change a lot. I, I mean uh, personally, this is a conversation topic for another time. I'm not in. I'm not a huge fan of the idea of streaming games. I like. <laughs> I say I like owning a game, but the reality is I don't own a game. It's files on a system that I'm downloading from Steam. But I feel like the technology is going to advance. It's going to keep getting better until it is nearly indistinguishable indistinguishable from playing the game on your own system. And I think at that point, it's going to open up a lot of doors for developers to preview their games with journalists or uh, beta testers without even needing to distribute copies. They can just run them on their own servers. Um, And that will give them a higher level of control over what gets leaked, what doesn't, and be able to track the leaks. Um, again, I don't have the inside track on this. Certainly not. I This is just a feeling I have that the industry is probably heading there. And if that happens, the main reason why you even have E3 goes away completely. It evaporates. And then you genuinely could just make it into a video game convention. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's definitely a big conversation. And like, there's no immediate answer to how it can or will change. And you like to think that's something that the the creators are scratching their heads over. But... You know, like Mike said, there's uh, there's some faith to be reearned from them as well, for, with all that.
1: So <laughs> yeah, At Still, any rate, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that I won't be able to go this year. Potentially, you may be able to go digitally. We'll find out.
2: <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make an effort to attend to attend this year. I mean, I've had my my large vacation be Los Angeles four years in a row, so maybe it's time to. Uh, save my money and my in uh, my hours and go somewhere else this year. Go to Los Angeles and go to Disneyland. I I have done that. I'm, my sister lives in Los Angeles and, and writes for an entertainment magazine, so uh, I, I've used my E3 trips also as an excuse to visit her. Which also, is good. Just
1: take just take your 3DS and you can play Mega Man and uh, while you wait to get on Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, now you can go. I'll
2: to- I'll play Mega Man on my 3DS
0: anyway. <laughs> you can't stop me. <laughs> Regardless of what I do. At any rate, uh, I feel like uh, that's there's been a good chunk of stuff to discuss, and uh, we can probably wrap this episode up because, uh, yes. you know we've we're doing all right. Uh, yeah. Thanks for some some solid discussion, fellows. I appreciate having you
1: around. Thank you. I appreciate us being around. Yeah, you know you're both both knowledgeable blokes.
2: I appreciate talking to people about shared experiences, which is my favorite thing to do, which is why I enjoy podcasting so much.
0: Yeah, right? That's, yeah, I feel like if you don't, then why podcast? Like, that's, sharing is caring. Uh, Everyone else who's been sharing with us uh, in their ears, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for for continuing to listen and keep our podcasts alive. We do have a few of them. Uh, If you don't want to listen to Random Encounter, uh, you can go listen to Retro Encounter, uh, which is hosted by... uh, What's that guy's lot name pe- again? A lot, a lot of people. Yeah, it
2: has. It, it sometimes has uh, different hosts month to month. It depends, it depends. on what's going on with the podcast. But I've known to host a couple of them.
0: Yes, you have been. Uh, the driving force behind that is, of course, Mike Salosi. Uh, thank you for keeping that going. It's it, it goes at a crazy rate, and uh, that is largely due to you. So, thank you, sir.
2: I, I've had to I've had to miss weeks a couple times in uh, in 2019 and 2020, which is a great shame of mine, but. I I still, you know, work hard to try and put out a podcast every week that's at least a little interesting.
1: Mm -hmm. And based on what you told us uh, in this episode, there's some exciting things going on in the future. Sure, yeah, Um, we're doing uh, two episodes on Soul
2: Blazer in April. I mentioned already that we did. I've mentioned already that we're we're doing two episodes on Tokyo Mirage Sessions in March. And if you go back and listen to some backlogs in 2020, that you'll find two episodes on Suikoden Five and two episodes on Near Automata happened recently. So it's a uh, we're all over the place. That is <laughs> I think that I think that is four different generations of video game systems that I just mentioned. Um <laughs> depending play. on Yeah, yeah, depending on where you place the Wii U versus the uh versus the PS4. Becker but enough. the uh but we're, we're all over the place with uh, with uh retro encounter and uh there's a lot a lot more planned in the future that I'm not going to mention yet. How very retro. But we'll get there. No doubt. Maybe okay. ya- maybe some Yakuza, maybe some Stone Shard? Was that, was that what it was? Shardstone? Stone? Shard, yes. Give it Stone uh, Shard. Yeah, give sure. it
0: five years, then,
2: well, I guess two years
0: technically, and uh, yeah, it'll it, count.
2: <laughs> yep. We'll, um, uh, the retro encounter title is more just words without meaning. Uh, we, we can play a game for the podcast as long as it's two years old or, or older. And if we want to talk about a recent game, we just attach the word Spoiler Cast to the end and don't care
0: yeah exactly at the uh, the end of the day you could pull the whole rule of uh, my show my rules
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. y- yeah Yeah. exactly
0: <laughs> exactly allowed uh, that being said if you uh, don't want to deal with Solosi's rules you can go listen to uh, Rhythm Encounter our still very quiet not so quiet music podcast about RPG music and definitely recommend some good listening on that good recommendations for stuff you may not have heard before uh, and finally, uh, if you want to keep even more again. current with current events, hat and Eric have the, uh, RPG fan adjacent now podcast. Uh, I, well, I guess, yeah, whatever, uh, uh, Phoenix edge. So go listen to them and uh, give them some love. They also record that live. So you can even watch them while they're recording. I don't know if they have fan interaction. Have you watched any episodes, Mike?
2: No, I, I um, I've listened to several episodes, uh, and, and watch them stream a couple of times. They stream on, on Monday or Tuesdays via YouTube. And uh, and they do have some fan interaction with comments and in Discord. And they even had uh, one podcast fan join them as a panelist for one episode.
0: Very fun. That was kind of always my dream when I was listening to uh, Random Encounter back in the day. I always wanted to be, a, and even on Rhythm Encounter, I just wanted to be a fan uh, a guest at some point. And then to the point that I just bullied my way on to being a host. So there you go. Here I am now. Haha,
2: It can happen.
1: It's good to have goals,
2: right? Yeah, I I started out uh, complaining onto the on the forums about uh, uh about stuff they're getting in the in the podcast wrong, and then I in, ended up joining a joining RPG fan uh, in 2014. as part of the music section. You complaining about informational inequities? Never. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the worst at that. I'm, I'm the, I'm the most annoying version of a YouTuber Facebook comment, (laughs) but I, but I did, but I did start the, uh, the random encounter drinking game on the forums, uh, some, several years ago. I'm a little proud of that. What were the, what were the rules? Um, if Rob talks about dark souls or Diablo or, um, if, uh, if, if Steven, uh, talks about fantasy star or Sega (laughs) and if, and if, And if, uh, I forget, there was a Derek one too, but I forget what it was. I'd have to to go through some 2013 forum posts to find it. Which, who wants to do that? Well, right
0: now, the only one we currently have is every time uh, Abercrombie Video gets mentioned. It seems to be the
1: the going uh, (laughs) joke. (laughs) And probably even more so now that Jono's an official co-host. It'll come up a lot more. If you really want to update it, you can say every time Jono mentions Yakuza, take a drink. You're going to get smashed by the end of every episode, apparently yeah because the dark
0: souls of rpg fans random encounter and on that uh, note folks let's keep going with the outro train
2: <laughs> i thought dark souls was already the dark souls of rpg fans random encounter
0: i don't know has it has it faded with with rob was rob the dark souls of rpg fans random encounter <laughs> i mean it's retro or is he the we've never we, the we've never
2: done a, a souls episode of retro encounter although we have talked about it a little bit
0: yeah, and there's some of them that definitely at this stage would be probably more digestible, even like Dark Souls Three or Bloodstained.
2: Yeah, That's up to you, folks. You mean
0: you mean you mean Bloodborne? Sorry, Bloodborne. Yeah, sorry, Bloodstained is a very different you, game, but we've talked yeah, about yeah, before. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, Bloodstained is the uh, is the Igarashi game
0: that came out yes, last year. It involves rituals of the night and such. Uh, um, at any rate, uh, if you want to email us about informational inequities, you can email us at podcast at you can um, send me all kinds of questions and stuff. I would like, as always, more than just spam. You can also catch me on the Discord, like I said, uh, very improperly. Uh, and I said I would fix it later. So G me. there, actually said my name. You can find me on the Discord. Hit me <laughs> up with questions. Cyanide, it's been really nice having a chat with you about Pillars of Eternity. And one day I'll play it. We'll talk about it on the episode. And you can tell me more things about it. I think so far here, the only person who's really played it is Solosi. So, you yeah, know.
2: It's it's pretty good. It's <laughs> it's a well-written. It looks neat. It's a well it's a well-written game that feels like uh, the CRPGs from 20 years ago but control much better than those older Infinity like. engine games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and also uh, <laughs> the, the, um, the the psychic abilities you can play with in that game get really fun. Oh, that sounds cool. That's something yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I wish they had introduced for uh, even like the Baldur's Gates as they went along because in 3.5 they started having psionic rules. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they ever did that in the old like, Dark Suns game, because that was the only setting that really had a lot of psionic rules. But until when they started switching over to the 3.5 model, that's something that was sadly not there. So that's cool. I'd like to play with that. Psionics is, is fun.
2: I didn't finish Pillars of Eternity, but that game is fun and definitely worth a shot, especially if you have nostalgia for that kind of game.
0: As I do, and especially with Baldur's Great 3 coming up on the horizon, which uh, we'll talk about that more in the future. I need to watch Oh, that's that right, Yeah, Yeah, I, I kind of want to go back through the first two and gear up for it, so we shall see. Do a little Western RPG, CRPG uh, month of, of streaming or something. We'll figure it out. Who knows? The gameplay preview looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, oh. Anyways. That's a whole other podcast. This podcast is coming to an end. That's it. We're putting on the brakes. We're turning this thing around. We're going home, everybody. So, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much for consistently giving us feedback on um, Instagram, Facebook,
1: and the tweeters at RPG Fancom. Seriously, if you guys have any questions or anything you want us to talk about, just drop us a line and we'll uh, consider it. Absolutely. Consider is the keyword. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, for myself,
0: Jono, and Mike, take care, everybody. Until next time. Bye-bye. Be
1: seeing you. Bye. This is a crossover on par with, like, Endgame.
2: Okay, it's it's more like a crossover where uh, Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote went to Miami and teamed up with Magnum P.I. That, that, that's the crossover. I'll
0: take it. The only way in which this is, like, uh, Avengers Endgame is that Thanos has already started to uh, make things disappear, and that's why there's no uh, Rhythm Encounter. Oof. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Sad, sad horn.